Welcome to the No Normal. The No Normal is a special presentation coming to you from New Music Edmonton. Thank you for joining us for this month's array of conversations, music, and special features. New Music Edmonton respectfully acknowledges that this celebration of creativity was produced on Treaty 6 territory. Amiskwichiwaskaigan is the traditional gathering place of the many indigenous peoples whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence and enrich our community. We further acknowledge that it was the Indigenous peoples of Treaty 6 who established the principles for, and have remained exemplars of, the respectful and caring use of this land for the purposes of art, livelihood, and spirituality. It is from these principles that New Music Edmonton has sought, and will continue to seek, partnerships, inspiration, and learning. Welcome to Episode 6 of NME's The No Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Oscar Zibart. Spring is here, and with it... A year of pandemic life has passed, a year compounded by concern, confusion, and creativity. It goes without saying that countless artists, arts organizations, and others in the creative community continue to be affected during these difficult times. This month's episode of The No Normal is dedicated with gratitude, appreciation, and strength to everyone in the arts. We are thinking of you. New Music Edmonton is marking our own milestone this month with the 10th Now Hear This Festival Spring Edition. We have a week of online performances and new works, as well as this episode of our podcast. We've also partnered with CJSR Radio in Edmonton. Watch for additional special projects between NME and CJSR in the future, and enjoy the no normal on their airwaves. You can find the station on Edmonton radio dials at 88.5 FM and online at cjsr.com. For more information about NME's programming and events, look us up on social media or visit our website, newmusicedmonton.ca. Our first artist is Cole Dorchester, a composer, vocalist, and electronic musician currently pursuing studies in composition at the University of Alberta. Their work runs a wide gamut of styles focusing on timbre and delicate interwoven textures. They've studied composition with Scott Smallwood and Nicholas Arnaiz and singing with Larry Benson. Dorchester's new work, Petrichor, was recently commissioned by New Music Edmonton for guitarist Marek Oshulik and is being presented on this program for the first time. First, we'll listen to a conversation between Dorchester and New Music Edmonton's Ian Crutchley. Regarding Petrichor, um, I, I actually really have to thank you because you, in addition to the piece, you've also given me the name for something that I didn't know how to name. Can you talk about just how that name came into being? I started working on it probably in the fall and I was just like on various little sketches, not really understanding the way it was going to go. The initial idea that I ended up sticking with, I actually arrived with when I actually had an instrument in my hand that I borrowed from my friend. Um, And it was where I plucked right in the center of the string and pushed my finger very carefully into the middle and it just created this radiance that just came out of the center of the string. And I was was very impressed by that. And I thought, wow, I think I'm going to do something with this. And after I started sitting for it with a while, I, I made all of these sort of like little ideas that I had floating around. 
And the, the visual that sort of came to me was the moment, like as a storm is blowing in where you're sitting there and there's maybe just like a couple uh, raindrops falling around you and then like the very distant rumble of mm. thunder and the the smell that sort of like washes up. Um, yeah, and it I, I'm not sure if I'd say the piece is about that. The piece definitely evoked the image in my mind of that. And I think that image was both created and influenced the piece at different mm. points in time. Did you already play guitar before this? I did not. Mm. And interestingly enough, um, I guess the way that I approach composition, um, I wouldn't say I'm a spectralist, but I definitely have spectral elements mm -hmm. at pretty much every level of my composition. Even the way I conceptualize of sound is a very, very primal sort of like down to the root of everything. I like looking as deep down as I can. Because of that, um, if I'm writing for an instrument that I don't play, there's always a period of time before I write the piece where I have to get an image of how it functions in my mind. And a lot of instruments I already, have, I already have a very clear sonic image of how they sound, although that's very different from like what actions produce those sounds. Mm -hmm. um, so for the guitar piece, um, I, there was like a reasonable amount of time where I was just sort of like living with this guitar and feeling, figuring out how it worked um, so that I felt like I could give a, um, hmm a convincing perhaps portrayal of it, or at least something that I felt was true to the instrument and wouldn't, that there wouldn't be a barrier between my composition and the performer. Um, one thing that was definitely different is um, I generally work um, in, I, at least recently I've been working in extended just intonation or at least um, somewhat microtonal stuff. And of mm -hmm. course the guitar is a very fixed instrument in the fact that it frets and of course you can bend and stuff um, and of course the way I got around that was um, writing a pretty intense scrotature which is uh, remarkably close to open tuning but is is quite different in character yeah for sure um, when you were working on this piece did you um, did you work with Merrick directly or did you wait until the score I was did finished? yes we had some meetings pretty early on where I discussed various techniques with him. I sort of like communicated the kind of ideas that I was thinking about. And he actually shared with me um, several pieces that he enjoyed playing that he thought were similar to the kind of stuff that I was writing. So I also had a, uh, a very nice delve into the repertoire. How do you feel that you might have come into being interested in this sort of spectral idea of music? Yeah, I, I'd say the, the first spectral piece I ever heard was um, by James Tenney, and it was the spectral canon for mm -hmm. Conlon Nankara. Oh, um, of course, yeah. And, and I listened to this, and I was just listening, and I, I was really fascinated by just how it worked. Um, and I was inspired to, I guess, write a piece that was in the harmonic series. At the time, I didn't really even understand what the harmonic series was. <laughs> I started working on it. It didn't really go in the direction I thought it would. It's basically ascending patterns in strings with a whole bunch of offset polyrhythms and a yeah. soprano saxophone and a clarinet at the top sort of doing this very interesting interplay. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess the other composer that I listened to a lot early 
with spectral undertones would be Georg Friedrich Haas, uh, I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. His second string quartet was the first work I heard of him. And I heard a lot of his work early on. Although I don't think I really started understanding what I was doing until I started getting a lot more into linguistics, which got me into acoustics, which then got me back into sort of like the basic ideas of spectralism. And I think probably the first piece I wrote that was unambiguously, spectrally. At part of one of my classes, we were writing for Ultraviolet and I wrote for Alison Valchettis and right. Amy Nicholson. And it was a cello saxophone piece and uh, all in the harmonic series of a very low D. That would be the piece called Phantasma Spectorum. Yes. Yes, which I was listening to just this morning again. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very glad. I. Yeah, that that is um that is definitely one of my favorite pieces. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just really love it. I, I love the way it turned out. Um I, I really love noise as well. Um yeah. and the way that like noise interplays with harmonic processes. Yeah, that's that's part of my thing. And I, I actually I am a noise musician, interestingly enough. I oh, you are. Okay. play the no input mixing board and on my spare time sometimes. And, oh, uh, very nice. Uh yeah, so that that is another, I guess, part of my creative self that uh, I often incorporate pieces of into my acoustic work as well. But I, I wonder if your experience the last year or so has brought anything out of you that, in terms of an artist uh, practice or compositions that has surprised you. Yeah, I'm a, uh, a choral musician. This pa the pandemic has been the first, like probably the longest stint in my life I've gone without singing in a choir in person. Since I started, which was 13, 14 years ago, I think grade one at Victoria School, I got into the division one choir and I've been in choir every year since, except I think seventh grade where I was only in for half the year, but then I was in band. Yeah, I think seventh grade would be about the only time that's also been like this, but I think it's just edging out that um, gap in time that I haven't sung. Um, but definitely being away from uh, ensembles like that has made me focus um, a lot more on, I guess, solo work. Another thing in terms of like my artistic development that probably wouldn't have happened if COVID hadn't have happened was, um, I, I've got into listening, um, there's a traditional Japanese type of music which is centered around the biwa, which is a four-stringed lute with very tall frets, um, uh -huh. which yeah, produces this very yeah. fantastic buzzing tone. And it, of course, comes with this very rich and beautiful oral tradition, which is sort of like singing various epics, including the Heike Monogatari, which is the tale of the Genpo War um, and various other things. And I got into that and um, actually purchased my own instrument, which I've been repairing. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yes. And I've also taken some classes in the uh, traditional singing style, which again, I've stopped as recently just because of everything has been uh, very intense, I guess. I've been doing a lot of things, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to pick that up again soon. The Victoria School has actually come up in two or three of the interviews we've had already on the podcast. And yeah. so I'm going to actually take this opportunity 
to ask you if you can just talk a little bit about what that, that institution is and, and how it works. It is uh, a school of the arts and it has, I guess, classes in all the major arts, uh, drama, uh, there's a uh, visual arts sort of like acting, um, which includes, of course, a whole bunch of subsets. There's improv, clowning and a whole bunch of other things there. Um, in terms of music, there's a, a very good choir and a band there. Do they ask you to specialize in a particular discipline or does everybody yeah. there get a little bit of everything? I don't even think you need to sort of specialize into the arts because it is, of course, a public high school as well. Right. Um, and you can take, I guess, as many or as little as you wish, although most people will specialize. I was sort of drifting between the drama and music areas later into, um, I guess, in grade 11 and 12, I focused more on the music side, mostly because I had, I guess, less time, although I, I still have an actor's spirit, I guess you'd say. Um, Can you imagine your actor part and music part coming together somehow that at some point you might do pieces for yourself that involve you acting and making oh, music? Yes, definitely. Theatrical, um, I guess, composition is an entire layer of practice that I've not really touched, although I definitely want to do that in the future. What's your status currently in terms of school i think you're you're at the u of a studying music yes and what so is that? um my my schooling is is a bit strange because i i started actually in uh, honors mathematics um and i was in that for about like a year and a half and then i sort of gradually transitioned i guess through linguistics into music although of course i hold all those fields very near and dear to my heart although i guess I've discovered that I don't want to be a professional linguist or a professional mathematician, um, but I would be content, I guess, being a professional musician. Mm -hmm. So let me finish off by asking a couple of questions about future work. The first part of this is just a simple question of whether you have something on the go at the moment that you're working on or something that is kind of planned for the next little while that is sort of a more concrete piece that you're yes um i have been commissioned uh, by my friend bradley jenniser in chicago to write a uh, a tuba piece which i am currently working on tuba awesome yeah solo tuba <laughs> pieces yeah. it's 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 gonna be very fun yeah. um uh, other than that, I have a couple, I guess, more personal projects that I've been working on. Some of them are in more early stages of the development. Some of them I've been working on for a while. Uh, one piece that's definitely been, I guess, sitting in the back of my mind for a while is a different solo cello piece, which um, I actually don't know if I ran over this earlier, but uh, the reason I ended up settling on the scordatura for the guitar was actually um, I've been recently working in... I don't really think there's a name for it. It's a relatively unexplored area, I guess, of like harmony, um, which is using irrational ratios that fulfill certain properties um, in combination tone. And the cello piece is actually, all four strings are tuned. Um, I haven't quite decided on this. They're either gonna be tuned acoustic golden ratios apart or a very close harmonic structure, which would probably be fifth harmonic, eighth harmonic, 13th harmonic, and 21st harmonic. If you were 
essentially given any resources you needed to write a piece of music um, and no time limit on how long it might take. <laughs> uh, what would your dream piece be if you have one? Ooh. I guess if I, if I was given unlimited resources, um, I definitely want to do something that um, I guess involves a lot of people in the community. So sort of like some sort of a, a multidisciplinary project um, that would, I guess, like involve a whole bunch of different arts and uh, a lot of different, I guess, ideas and stuff, just a very sort of broad, broad and large and I guess encompassing a lot that I am, I guess, but a piece in the machinery of, I don't really, like if I was given unlimited resources to write a very large work, I, I would prefer to, I guess, write something collaborative that we can mm. sort of like work together and I guess create something as a community rather than, I guess, just sitting alone and creating that for other people, if that makes sense. And Emmy's Ian Crutchley speaking with Cole Dorchester. And now... Here is the new work, Petrichor, commissioned by New Music Edmonton and performed by guitarist Marek Orshulik, a student of both music and biological and medicinal chemistry. Orshulik has performed as a soloist in numerous arts festivals and events in Europe and Canada. Recent engagements include recitals for Edmonton Classical Guitar Society. He has given numerous performances of new music for NME and has given the premieres and been the dedicatee of numerous new compositions.
Petrichor by Cole Dorchester, performed by Marek Oshulik. Our next artist is musician and engineer Shen Ye. Currently based in Toronto and lauded as one of Canada's most exciting voices in textural soma, Shen is techno-agnostic and genre-eclectic. Their live performances and releases have received critical accolades from Bandcamp, MusicWorks, and Exclaim, while their installation works have been featured and exhibited internationally. New Music Edmonton has commissioned their new audiovisual work entitled Zeno Yoga Troll the Scroll, which will be available on NME's Vimeo page. Ian Crutchley spoke with Shenye recently to discuss their work. I'll just start by asking you a question that I think you get asked probably every time you're interviewed, <laughs> but and that's just the discussion of the idea of yourself as a prototype. And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what you mean by that and maybe then a bit how that reflects in your work yeah i i assume uh you saw that from this yeah, sentence right, i yeah. usually wrote in my bio uh she is the prototype of many objects most often i'll have the last mm-hmm. part is one of them is a pure apparatus yeah i guess first of all with that sentence it's it's just I really enjoy wordplay and metaphors. So I tend to do that a lot in writing my own biographies. But in terms of the, the context of, uh, of pr- the idea of prototype, it was the meaning of prototype in computer programming. Because mm-hmm. it's mm, okay. defined as this abstract rep- representation of a whole system. So usually it's like used for demonstration or as a tester prior to the real uh, process of make actualizing a, a system. So I, I refer mm-hmm. to myself as a prototype because I feel like I do so many different things and it's hard to use words or text to describe or conclude the variety of everything. So I feel like myself or the the perception of myself to other people are like this abstract representation of me. It, It is very interesting to start exploring your work, whether it be your website, Spotify, you know, there's very, there's a lot of different sources, plus of course, other interviews that you've done. And it isn't, very easy to just sort of say this is what Chenier's work is it's this thing or that thing every one of these aspects is seems to be a part of defining you would you say that's correct yeah yeah um yeah I do see all these directions whether or not it's um just a subject matter that's involved in the work or the media I use to create a work or Mm -hmm. the genres or categorizations that people tend to put me into. I see all of them are like these branches uh, coming out of this primitive form of my, the core Mm -hmm. identity. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like like you said, it's they're all different aspects of me. When people do put you into these genres, 
whether it's installation, improvisation, DJing, all these different things. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that's narrowing the way that they perceive you? Or is it just a convenience? Mm. Um, or does it really matter? That's a really good question because I actually encounter that and think about that a lot. Mm. I think I've been through many phases in terms of this question. Like early on, I I do I did feel really bothered. Um, I'll be like, you know, sometimes people will, in art context, people tend to think I'm a net artist, um, which mm-hmm. it's quite. Uh, it, it could be true, I will say, but it's just, it's like, it has very specific aesthetics attached to this genre and even lifestyles of the net artists, but I don't really share those. Um, I will consider myself as a net mm-hmm. artist in the sense that I, I think in the idea of a networks. Same in, in music. Like, you know, I, I think mostly people see me as an experimental musician, um, which like maybe years ago were the closest to what I do. But now, you know, it's genres, especially in music, gets closed off all the time. And mm-hmm. when you think about experimental music, immediately it signifies this specific sound in your mind yeah and that's not something I really feel like I identify with because I just constantly um like almost impulsively look for new outlets um yeah but I think that was also just early on um, after a while, I really, like you said, I, I feel like right now it really doesn't matter to me anymore because you can't really control how people perceive you. I project myself oh. out as I want. It's fine, you know. Have you found with the diversity of work that you do that it's it's difficult to find the support you need in terms of support for projects? Or do you find that it's not easy to, for example, pitch an idea to a gallery or something like that? I will say um, it's not as easy as um, when I just, you know, able to narrow it down to like one sentence um, or something. But so far, so good, Mm -hmm. I will say like, Kind of, you know, for example, in the context of grand writing, <clears throat> which is a very good example because they really have to put you in categories. Um, when, for example, my project could be media art, could be visual art, and also could be music. I've learned uh, slowly how to reframe the project to fall into these categories. You're listening to the No Normal Podcast, and we'll return in a moment to the second half of our interview. 
New Music Edmonton is a not-for-profit arts organization and is dependent on a vast array of sponsors, members, and volunteers. Funding and support for this season's presentations, including this podcast, has been provided by the Canada Council for the Arts, the Alberta Foundation for the Arts, Canadian Heritage, SoCan Foundation, Alberta Gaming and Liquor, the City of Edmonton, and CJSR Radio. We thank all of them for their generosity and continued commitment to recognizing the vital role that the arts play in our lives. Thanks also to the members, volunteers, and NME staff and board members who keep it all together and happening for New Music Edmonton, to the artists whose work is the reason we come together, and of course, thank you for joining us. This is Episode 6 of New Music Edmonton's The No Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Oscar Zebarth, and now, back to the conversation between Shenye and Ian Crutchley. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how how you became this um what what kind of led you from your you know your first experiences of being part of or creating art to the sort of diverse of um languages and um and techniques that you use now music was the more like the first media i'm familiar with i studied piano since i was six it was quite a intense and uh, brutal journey i grew up in china and um it wasn't an easy uh thing to do like classical music education but somehow my parents were really determined and somehow i guess i i probably show some talent early on. So they decided to really support me through this crazy journey. Basically, like I, I practiced piano very, very intensively Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a kid. And then I went to um, a conservatory when I, in grade seven Mm -hmm. to grade nine. Um, It was uh, on this beautiful place it's known as a piano island piano island (laughs) (laughs) yes yes (laughs) yeah it's it was it's like a tourist city um where i'm not i'm not from that city but my parents sent me there to just study music yeah and the island was known for that because it was colonized uh during world war ii um and at the time tons of pianos were shipped to the island mm. <laughs> yeah and it created this like very interesting um culture for learning classical music it was a boarding school i was really far from away from my parents or my usual support system um yeah i ended up really hating classical <laughs> music <laughs> yeah and i I literally gave up piano performance mm. at a time and then went to a normal high school. Um, but, but I never stopped. <laughs> like I still really, at a time, you know, like a teenager, you just really into pop music or like at a time that was the starter of like indie or underground music in China. Mm-hmm. So really got into the counterculture. Um, so I had like... In college, I had uh, a punk band. Um, I was 
Oh yes, I was also uh, competing in talent shows. <laughs> you know, like vocalist. It's like oh, wow. all those. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I feel like my interest in all these different、uh, genres of music really kind of shaped how I. I, how I believe in this fluidity, you know, because、mm-hmm. I really do love experimental music, and I really do love R and B. You know,、yeah. like it's、yeah. like there's no need for me to like separate these things or、um, put them in a hierarchy. Like, okay, this is serious, this is not.、Right. You know, yeah, because、yeah, and every time I have read something about you, I've There seems to be another thing added to the list of the types of bands and <laughs> things. <that> you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Later on, I was like a singer songwriter. I, you know, acoustic guitar, accordion, that type of、um, uh, style.、Um, I got quite good at it,、mm-hmm. and then I became a bar singer, a full-time bar singer. Um, I don't think it's something happened here, but it's like for tourism in China, like certain areas they have bars and it's for entertainment.、Um, but I really enjoy that because, and、okay. now、mm-hmm. I think about that experience is that、um, I really pick up guitar skills a lot from that intensive working because it's like. I have to sing and play guitar eight hours a day. Yeah, yeah.、Mm-hmm. It it was like a job, but a then <laughs> after that experience, I was like, I don't think I ever want to make this kind of、uh, music playing as a profession.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also you know, there's also all these things.、Mm-hmm. Like in classical music, one of the reason I quit was、um, it was kind of it was very sexist、um, in a way that you know, like in my school, ninety、yeah. percent of the students are female, but but when you see what's going on, like in the world, like usually just males who made it.、Um, Same with the singer songwriter thing. It's like、um, people really see you not because of your musicianship, but because you know this image of a girl with a sweet voice who can play guitar. Which is yeah, I got a comment very、uh, often. It's like, oh, you can play guitar very well, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get into visual art seriously until I moved to Toronto. I can't think why it prompted me to get into visual art, but I did went to school for that, partially because I didn't know anyone here, so I wanted to start making friends.、Um, and then, and then here I am.、Yeah. <laughs> One of the most noticeable things, especially when you just go straight to your website, is words and texts. And、um, there's this 
beautiful explosion of words right on the front of your website that um, I only realized a couple of days ago you can play with and move the words around. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and um, also in, in a lot of the pieces that I've heard um, or videos that I've seen, there's, there's words. And so could you talk a little bit about um, why that's so integral to your practice? Yeah, that animation on the homepage of my website, it's a, it's a visualization of all the titles of my work where I see each word, English word or Chinese character as a node. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some phrases, some titles, they share the same word. So it will be connected as a network. So it's, that's a very straightforward entry to word can be seen as data can be seen as a node can be seen as a material yeah i don't know why i'm so fond of tags i guess when i think about the origin um, because i started performance prior to practicing art uh, either sound or body performance. I think I was really into this, the pre-linguistic potentials in performance where, yeah, I used to always say, say that I, I see myself as, as a host, mm. like a turnal that I, I don't matter at all in there, but I'm channel some things through me out. Uh, I still think so or believe so in playing music. I think another thing is I really, I'm really fond of noise making and that in the context of text or writing it's, is where the illegible comes in. The visually illegible or, or orally? Uh, both. And okay. yeah, or even other senses. But overall, I like how be a dynamic process as in semantic elements don't have to convey a concrete meaning. If I think from that perspective, it's really influenced by how I perform. I also try to think about it in a different perspective is uh, the fact that my, my mother tongue is Mandarin, it's mm -hmm. Chinese. So it's a very typical ideogram-based language. Whereas my second language, English, is alphabetical, heavily relying on the phonetic. Uh, versus Chinese as visual. Obviously, I've also been through many phases, you know, trying at first, trying very hard to absorb English. And then later on, I started to like object it, like antibodies, like, because I feel <laughs> like I don't quite want to take in everything. And, um, yeah, so right now I really enjoy my broken English. For the, yeah, and I have no desire 
<laughs> to fix it. Um, yeah, and then another layer on top of that is as I started to get into computers, there's this you know divide of natural human languages versus computer languages, mm-hmm. uh, which is about numericals like log- logics, recursivity. So that's another layer on top of this. Um, yeah. I I just <laughs> try to intellectualize how I like texts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just such a striking part of what you do, and and there, the meanings of words are so interesting because if you you know something that I notice comes up in your works often is if a word is repeated um, sonically, mm. there's that amazing phenomenon where where a word that's so familiar after you keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it and hearing it it sounds like something really weird and strange mm-hmm. that you've never heard before um, and i think that's also true if you see you know see a word repeated a lot of times as well and uh it's it's an interesting layer i think to to listening to to your work um among the many, many other layers of things, of course. (laughs) In addition to text, what things are priorities for you in terms of assembling Mm. the kinds of work that you do? I would say body as well. When I say body, I think of it in many areas. So for example, sound, it's to me, it's a very bodily medium or phenomenon. So I tend to categorize sound in in body. In making installation work, I really bring up or um, materialize the embodiment of things. For example, sound, um, which is known as intangible, um, but we don't have to see it that way. But also, you know, computers, like machines, internet, all these things. So I think it's important to manifest these, the embodiment of these things because when things are not visible, because we're such visually focused animals, yes. <laughs> yeah, when things are not visible, it's easy to be controlled or manipulated. Mm. By so many forces. Does the work emanate from the technology that you're using? Or, for example, can you go off to a coffee shop with a notebook and just think things through before going to the machines? Or do you really need to be engaged with the technology before mm-hmm. anything starts to happen? It actually always started from a notebook. Mm. Um, and I guess this is why I'm kind of not settled in one specific technology mm-hmm. is because it's always uh, starting from a concept and to actualize the concept, I realize, okay, these are the technologies involved. And because a lot of time I don't even know how to use these technologies Mm -hmm. so at that point then i'll have to learn them 
That brings us to the another word that comes up in your biographies and, and self-descriptions, which I really like, and that's the term technia-agnostic. It means I'm not fixed with fixated with one technique mm. or certain technique. Um, I'm interested. I'm always interested in emerging things or things I didn't know. I just discovered. Like I was saying, it always comes like concept first because I. I believe I also use genre eclectic yes. <laughs> <laughs> there. To me, there's very similar concept. It's, you know, not fixated with one thing. Is all your work digital based or do you also use analog tools? Before last year, it was all like analog acoustic. Oh, okay. Mm. I only started to learn electronic music production since last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so even with the DJ work, it was done using pedals and stuff. Could you maybe just talk a little bit about who or what DJ Zeno Yoga is? Mm, yes. Um, so DJ Zeno Yoga, it's... For me, it's a persona I created to where I perform and think like a DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like a lot of musicians. You are interested in different genres, so people tend to create different monikers, you know, for for that. Um, for me, there's also a layer of parody here because I don't. I guess at first it was I intended to create this moniker to uh, to create dance music, mm-hmm. but as I was making dance music, I realized I was way too cynical. <laughs> how so? <laughs> and sarcastic about it. Oh, how do you mean? Like in what way? Like for example, I it's hard for me to really create a beat. That vibes. Mm-hmm. It has to, um, yeah, um, adds a little bit of humor to it, okay. um, <laughs> and that really results in <laughs> DJ Zeno Yoga. This project, okay, nice. the new work that you've created for New Music Edmonton is called Zeno Yoga Troll the Scroll. Could I ask you to talk a little bit about the origins of that piece and? what Mm -hmm. kinds of things uh, you've included in it. So this is kind of related to the whole series, like that persona Mm -hmm. I created. The name Zeno Yoga, it's, you know, obviously it's coming from my initials XY, but it's also, I see as a a twist of, you know, fitness and wellness culture, such as motivational speech, guided meditation. So, In this project, I tend to use what really make these um, things like how to do guided meditations, but in a funny way. Yeah, with Troll the Scroll, it has a lot to do with the idea of the feeds on the internet. Um, 
you know, especially now, like everything is like based on algorithmic retargeting. So you got infinite feeds based on your preferences. It's such a crazy feedback where like you didn't ask for it, but because of your past uses, it keeps sending right. to you and you see it all uh, more and more. And then it keeps doing this, you know, feedback, not to mention like, you know, uh, click buys, all, all these like emerging phenomenon coming from this and internet trolling, mm-hmm. obviously. So for this piece specifically, I was looking at um, news headlines, um, how to translate them into almost simplify, like uh, simplify them into like um, these media notes, uh, which is totally reductive because there's no real one-on-one relationship between words to to sounds but to to use this super reductive one-on-one relationship to translate that yeah i tend to yeah it's like an exemplification like how we are treated or how you know these idea of feeds we consume every mm-hmm. day they're not necessarily um really complicated right. ideas you know we our use of internet our you uh our habits of reading or even consuming uh news or facts or truth are already mm-hmm. reductive mm-hmm. it's it's interesting on how people are so willing to put themselves through that every day too that even though you know what's going to be on your social media feed every day, you still go through. The piece was uh, derived partly from an installation that you did. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about the relationship between what New Music Edmonton has commissioned and the the installation that it came from. Right. Um, the, the new piece for... New Music Edmonton, it's um, more of a performance where I perform using the samples from that installation. Um, The installation originally was a Twitter bot I built, um, but for a couple of reasons, (laughs) technical reasons, um, because some of the libraries are depreciated, so it was not up. It has me up for a while, um, but I'm able to have some samples and and this new work is to improvise with these samples. Sort of, you know, I see these samples um, as ingredients, you know, I put them in a pot, remixing them, like stirring the pot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the visual is the visualization of the sounds. I've asked pretty much everybody I've interviewed this year about the situation with the pandemic and um, Mm -hmm. life as an artist um, or just life generally. And uh, I wonder how, if at all, has the pandemic Mm -hmm. really impacted the way you're thinking as an artist? Um, Not necessarily regarding ideas for pieces or something like that, but just the way you work. Um, 
that sort of thing. I will say definitely in music, um, it's dramatically impacted because um, we cannot perform live anymore, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is totally a bummer to me because um, the core thing I love about performance is the liveness. Yeah. Um, I l- even though I'm an introvert, um, but I love feeling the energies in the space with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, cause that really feedback to my improv in real time. Right. Um, so that's, so because of that, I have not been making music much. Mm. If you could execute a dream project of yours um Mm. you know if you had unlimited resources and and all things were equal in terms of the pandemic and so on what kind of a dream project do you think you would you would do if you could yeah it's it's a very interesting but very tough question Mm -hmm. (laughs) um not right now, but early on when I first started making uh, art, um, I was really, um, I thought my dream idea was uh, already actualized, which is uh, the dream house by La Mon Yang. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, you know, that idea of having a, a drone, yeah. literally yeah. relaying like for years or probably lasting forever mm. before the end of the world it's just so beautiful have you been to it yes, mm, I, yes. I haven't had the chance but so what was it like it's it's a house uh and when you enter you you hear this drone which um allegedly have been playing since day one they create like they installed the work mm-hmm. so theoretically it's such a durational work that has no ending. Uh, I, I, I heard that there were a couple of times when, you know, New York city was out of power and that stopped, <laughs> but that was probably the only reason it stopped. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So are you interested in durational works then? Mm-hmm. I'm interested in, I guess my, my answer will be if it's a dream work to me it's about the scale either in time or space Mm -hmm. yeah i'm super interested in this idea of infinite duration zero interrupt trap parody adjust Carry cutting across race, ability, economic standing, and geographical position. No more futureless repetition on the treadmill of capital. No more submission to the drudgery of labor, productive and reproductive alike. No more reification of the given mask as critique. Our future requires petrification. Except is not a bit for revolution, but a wager on the long game of history. Demanding the imagination, dexterity in understanding, and zero by one seizes alienation as an impetus to generate a world capital. 
we are all alienated to try out never and otherwise and not despite our alienated condition as a group of free our society. Technology isn't inherently progressive danger. It's usually a fused with culture and a positive feedback loop that makes many or sequencing our prediction of and absolute caution impossible. Technoscientific innovation must be linked to a collective theoretical and political thinking in which women, weird, and the gender non-conforming play an unparalleled role. Technology remains unrealized, fed by the market. Its rapid growth is upset by a global and elegant innovation is surrendered to the virus. The stagnant world is decorated beyond the blessing flutter of commodified products. The ultimate task lies in engineering technologies to combat unequal access to reproductive and pharmacological tools, environmental patterns, and protect underpaid labor. Gender equality still characterizes the fields in which our technologies China, 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 China,
That was Zeno Yoga, I Really Want Some, by Shen Ye, taken from a live performance by DJ Zeno Yoga that should give you a sense of what you can expect from the work commissioned by New Music Edmonton. The piece Zeno Yoga, Troll the Scroll, will be available on the NME Vimeo page. We've come to the end of this edition of The No Normal. Thank you to Cole Dorchester and Shen Ye for sharing their thoughts and their work, and to Marek Oshulik for his performance of Dorchester's new composition. Time has taken on a disorienting flexibility in the last 12 months, and it seems like many are experiencing the weird sense of everything seeming both very slow and very fast at the same time. Shifting clocks for daylight savings probably doesn't help either. What has helped ground us through it all is a continuous pulse of creative energy in our arts community. At New Music Edmonton, we too have come on a journey we didn't expect over the last year, but we've been thrilled and honored by the fantastic work so many artists have shared with us. Like them, we will continue to share and to explore, so watch for what comes next. To learn more about our programming, please visit newmusicedmonton.ca and be sure to explore the eclectic programming of our partners at CJSR Radio. The No Normal Podcast was created by Caitlin Sean Richards and Ian Crutchley for New Music Edmonton and is produced and hosted by me, Oscar Zibarth.